This week on the podcast, I really have an extra special guest. Deepa Shah is a rock star in the world of corporate finance for creative businesses. Having worked within two of the largest global advertising holding groups in the world, she was the CFO for Omnicom EMEA and APAC for 13 years before becoming CFO of Publicist Sapient. She's got an incredible history of being a tremendously successful financial advisor for agencies in a number of different areas incredibly knowledgeable about the sort of thinking that's generated just a ton of money for creative businesses of all shapes and sizes. Uh, She's pretty much held every role in finance that it's possible to hold. This is really actionable advice from an award-winning veteran in agency land. Um, It's about taking already solidly working businesses and making them that much better. And when you hear about some of the businesses that she's already been involved with, you'll really understand that. She talks about her initial blindness to the disparity of women and minorities for a long time in agency land because she was so head down and focused on her own work. But when she finally realized the problem, she had to do something about it. If you're even remotely interested in anything to do with how to grow your bottom line, how to make your business that much stronger to weather COVID-19, diversity and inclusion for women and minorities in the creative space, you will find this conversation to be absolutely fascinating. So without me keeping you in suspense any further, my conversation with Deepa Shah. Deepa Shah is a multi-award winning chief financial officer and consultant. She is a senior leader with 20 years of experience working with fast growth global businesses within technology, healthcare, communications, market research and creative services. She has had a successful career with two of the largest global advertising holding groups. She specializes in growth support and business strategy working with independent agencies. She is the winner of the 2020 Technology CFO of the Year Awards. She's the winner of the 2018 CFO of the Year Awards, Women in Finance, and the winner of 2016 Business uh, Award sponsored by NatWest, Asian Women of Achievement Awards as well. I'm very much looking forward to the conversation. Deepa Shah, welcome to Agency Dealmasters. Hi, Nathan. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very excited about our conversation. That is a really long introduction and string of achievements. I'm proud of myself that I was able to get it all in in, in one breath. Uh, you know what? It's it's I, I'm I'd never thought I would win three awards, let alone hmm. one. So um, I'm incredibly <laughs> proud of them, and yeah, uh, it's it's been an exciting journey since I won my first one. I think you know a few things coming from that changed my life, but it's it's all good. Yeah. It's all fun. Yeah. Brilliant. Well, we'll dig into that in a lot more detail because you've got an absolutely fascinating history and career journey. Um, You wanted to be an investment banker at the start of your career, but you said that you didn't get the grades that you wanted. In fact, you said that your your grades were crap. Take us back to the beginning of your career. How did you get started in the world of media and agencies? Yeah, so I, um, I was at uni, I did economics at uni. And at the time, you know, it was the late 90s, 99. All my friends were, you know, thinking about going into investment banking, applying to the city. Mm. So I was like, I'm going to do that. You know, that's what I want to do. Mm. Um, unfortunately, my grades weren't great. I got two economics, there was nowhere it was not the city, you know. So um, I was like, All right, okay, so that's not happening. I, I need a 
plan. So while I was thinking about my other plan, which I literally had no idea what that was going to be, I thought, well, I need to get, I need to get a job um, until I figure this out because I need to get, you know, money. I'm not, you know, I, I don't have loads, I didn't have loads of money. I was a, you know, a student coming out of uni at the time. So no rich parents to bankroll no you. Parents, no, sadly not. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah, I applied for. Um, went to a recruitment agency, applied for um, a junior assistant role at um, a small brand and comms research agency in Soho. And mm. it really was a junior role. You know, I was, I was making tea and coffee and um, checking the fax machine, you know, when we had fax machines. Mm. Um, and I took that role on uh, with a view to just being there for six months mm. uh, until I found, and until I had a better plan, basically. Um, <laughs> ended up staying there for 19 years would you believe amazing quite incredible so yeah that's how how I got into the world I I guess um quite randomly and unexpectedly and you know it wasn't part of the plan but that's evolved in the end it's something about making those teas and coffees that attracted you for that that (laughs) length of time um but that's really interesting you don't normally see people um with a you know, staying with one organization for 19 years. Um, if I'm not mistaken, it was Hall and Partners. They were a, they were a brand and com a, comms agency, part of the Omnicom group. W- what kept you at the company for such a long period of time? Yeah, so when I joined, it wasn't part of the Omnicom group. It was about four years after I joined that we sold to the group. Um, for me, you know, the reason why I stayed um, for so long is I really didn't have any reasons to want to leave I was given some great opportunities I realized quite quickly I love the environment I love the culture I love the people that I was working with Mm. Um, and I was quite ambitious and I thought you know what I I want to stay here I want to do well so you know what how can I how can I help progress myself how can I Mm. you know move up the career ladder in this business because it's exciting it's evolving it's growing and so a combination of me being ambitious putting my hand up and being offered opportunities but more importantly, I think being supported by a team that wanted to see me do well was really important mm. to me. And, and you know, that, that's what I did for those 19 years. I just kept growing. Um, I kept moving up. I kept doing new things and, and just kept being challenged. And it, it, it just kept it really interesting for me. And I, I honestly really didn't have a reason to want to leave. Um, mm. you, know, it's like you, do, you do have your moments going, oh, what if I should go and do something else? You have a long time. But Every time I was just pulled back going, no, I'm, I'm really happy, do you know, I'm growing, I'm learning new things. And I, I think that's really important. I think when it gets to a point where you're not learning, where you're not growing, where you're not feeling challenged is, is the time that you get questioned and you say, right, okay, it's time for me to move on and do something different. And that's what I did, you know, 19 years later when I knew myself it was time to move on. Um, okay. So yeah, we will come. We'll come to that transition in a in a moment. But you you became the CFO for Europe and, and Singapore in 2014. Yeah. Again, that was one of the opportunities that um, presented itself at the company. What was what was your responsibility like at that time, and what was the transition like into that role? It was interesting because I did every single role in finance there could possibly be up to that (laughs) point um you know before that I was the CFO for Europe before that I was the FD of the UK so the transition wasn't difficult because I'd grown up with the business I knew the business inside out um I'd helped get the Singapore business set up so it was it wasn't difficult I think I wasn't coming into a brand new business it was just 
part of the evolution and part of, you know, the next stage of growth, um, I guess. So it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like a dramatic transition of, oh, I'm now stepping into this new role. It was just a natural transition, I would mm. say. Mm, really interesting. In in 2018, you became the CFO for Publicis Sapient. Uh, tell us what that experience was like and how did it differ to working with Omnicom? Um, so, yeah, so I left Hall & Partners in 2018 and joined Publicis Sapient because that was the time that I really decided it was time for me to go and look for new opportunities, do something a bit different, see what the, the big wide world had to offer. And, and I was lucky mm. enough to to be offered this role at Sapient. And it was scary because I was going from a small agency, even though we'd sold to Omnicom, we were still a fairly small agency to a really big agency in the group. Um, going from a, I, I was responsible for like $45 million um, at Golden Partners. That was my area of responsibility. And I was moving onto a business that was $2 billion of which a third of that was, you know, falling under my responsibility. It's a big wow. <laughs> Yeah. really, really scared. I was like, oh my God, what if I mess this up? What if I can't do it? What if this is a really thing? And I spoke to one of my mentors and he said, mm. to me, it's just numbers, right? It's just numbers. You know your stuff. It's just numbers. It's going from one mm. place to another, but the only thing that's different are the numbers. And I was mm. like, okay, fine. And I went mm. and it, it was so true. I realized how much I knew, how much of my experience from Hall & Partners I was able to bring to a new business, even though that business was massive. Um, and it truly was. It, it was true what Paul, my mentor, said to me, that it is really just numbers. A lot of the challenges mm. are very, very similar. Um, from a holding group perspective, Publicis and Omnicom, you know, one's French, one's American. So they obviously mm. have different... Um, cultures I guess and Mm. um, one is much larger than the other but you know from a processes perspective all of that's really similar you know you you can go from one holding group to another and it's very familiar surroundings I would say there's nothing largely different about them probably the biggest difference is around culture purely because Mm. of you know how they're headquartered and how they're set up Um, Mm. but yeah otherwise it's not it's not that different Super fascinating. That, that was going to be one of the other questions I asked you. You know, what what was what, what were the differences between working with uh, a Sapient versus an Omnicom? And I think you're one of the few people actually that's had a, an insider's view into sort of what it's like working for both of those organisations. So that's 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 really fascinating to hear. Let Let's talk a little bit about Labe because you set up Labe in April of 2020 uh what a time to set up a business of all times um what made you make the leap what made me take that leap um so you know I think it goes back to my point around I'd been in Omnicom for a long time you know after we'd sold Hall and Partners to them and then I moved to Sapien at Publicis and I realized that you know I wasn't really feeling challenged. I wasn't really growing. I probably had done as much as I could as a CFO within the holding groups. I think when you're in the holding groups, it can be quite restrictive um, when you work in finance, particularly at a senior level, um, in terms of what you do, how much you can grow. And I just felt that I needed, it was time for me to, to start get onto a new challenge. And I thought, right, I don't really know the independent agency world very well because I've been in the holding groups for so long now, you know, most of my career. And I thought I could really use my skills and experience to go and help some smaller independent agencies using using my background, you know, working with smaller agencies within the holding group, working with a larger agency 
and really help these smaller businesses um, knowing that they don't need somebody at my level full time, but could really sure. do some of my skills and experience to help them with their growth ambitions. Yeah. And I thought, right, I want to I want to go and see what that world's like. I want to learn a bit more about it and see if I can do it. Um, I don't want to live with regrets. I'm one of those people that will, you know, take that chance. And um, unfortunately, it all happened. It all coincided with with the coronavirus. <laughs> In the middle of lockdown, I finished my notice period, so I didn't even get to say goodbye to to my pals at Sapien. Oh, shame. Um, and everyone was like, oh, God, what are you going to do? And I, I just thought, I'm going to go ahead with Lab 8. You know, yeah. I'm going to see what happens. I'm going to see where it takes me. It's a mm. really uncertain world. I don't know if I'll be successful or not, you know, mm. but I've got to try. I've got to, I've got to give it my mm. best shot. I really want to go and really add value to some really cool businesses and meet some really cool people along the way and work with great clients. And, you know, I've been really fortunate that I've, I've learned lots, but I've also been meeting some incredible people as well over the last three months. So I wouldn't mm. have done that if I'd stayed at Publicis. Um, and mm. I think that's really important. Really interesting. So you say that you've gained, you've got a particular set of skills and expertise that you bring to independent agencies. What are those unique skills and abilities that you bring from the large holding groups? And what are the main challenges that your clients typically have? So for me, you know, it's going from uh, being working in an independent agency to really understanding what it means to be part of a bigger holding group. When you're an independent, sometimes you don't always have the structure or the processes to really help you. And I've got those skills and experience to really go into independence and say, right, you know what, as you're growing, you're going to need to think about these things. And I can really help you do that because, you know, being small, you kind of, a lot of people are just doing all the roles, all the jobs at once. But as you start growing, you need to start really thinking about what does that look like in terms of internal structures. So I'm talking about operational teams, talking about sure. HR, finance. What, is the, what do those structures look like? What are the talent, um, the different types of talent that we need to really help support us? So I've got the skills really to go into businesses to help them with that, but also the skills around challenging them around their, around their growth ambitions. Sure. Um, so really challenging them on you know what does growth look like what does new business look like for you um what does innovation look like for you how are you going to do things differently um to, mm. to grow to remain competitive um so so those are some of the things that i think i can bring to the independence but it's really just my skills as being a cfo for so long now you know i've been a cfo for 12 years mm. and it's really using my experience from a small business to a large business to going into these independents to help them really smarten themselves up, become more effective, become more efficient and be a real partner to the leadership teams and the business itself. Mm. Um, so that's, that's really what I, I'm trying to achieve by doing this. And mm. um, for me, it's not about building transactional relationships with anybody that I work with. It's, it's about, you know, a medium to long-term relationship. Um, and, and having a real vested interest in their businesses, I guess. Yeah. I guess right now at this point, independent agencies are being forced to really look at their businesses um, uh, in a way that they hadn't really looked at it before. A lot of them are sort of streamlining because of uh, COVID-19 and, and the pressures on them financially. Um, talk a little bit about how, how your clients are thinking about structuring their businesses to be leaner more efficient and better prepared for when we come out of this situation 
Yeah, I think it's about making some brave decisions fast. Um, I think a lot of them are thinking about how, you know, it goes from the whole remote working perspective where a few months ago, so many businesses like, oh, no, I'm not sure about remote working or even, you know, people work <laughs> from home. But all of a sudden we know that actually works quite effectively sure. and quite right. <laughs> Too um, well. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's about businesses ensuring they have good technology in place, technology that's going to work um, remotely. That's one of the things that has been really, really important, but also being able to support their staff um, from a remote perspective, because what does culture look like, you know, when a lot of your team are working remotely? Um, But then, you know, from a structural point of view, cost point point of view, they're really taking a hard look at their costs and their structures to say, how do we become leaner, more efficient, but that doesn't compromise quality um, of our delivery to clients. Mm. So thinking about that. And the other thing is, you know, how do they diversify what they're selling? Um, Because it it goes back to the agency proposition of what we were selling and doing before COVID. Is that still relevant now? And is it still going to be relevant post-COVID? And those are some of the questions, I guess, that they're asking. So it's really now looking at these agencies from a holistic perspective, from clients, people, um, to costs, so that I mean, a lot of a lot of businesses that I'm speaking to, that's that's what they're doing at the moment. Uh, it takes time to do a full review, particularly when you've been going at the same pace for such a long time, and then suddenly you get shocked to the system, and then you have to question everything. You know, even down to do we need do we need that much office space, right? In yeah. future, or actually, do we want a a really cool working space where people can come in and out? You know, we'll be at twenty five percent capacity every day. Or, whatever it is so mm. i think um that you know th- there's a lot of questions and i you know i am loving working with them helping them through that at the moment and really mm. this year is really about just getting through 2020 for most of them and surviving 2020 and i i think to a lot of them you know focus get focus on getting through this year and then think about what 20 20- looks like you know you want to be in the best place possible come January the 1st because of the decisions that you've made this year and you know what the reality is they're going to have to make some tough decisions and it involves people and whenever it involves people it's always a tough decision you know it's heartbreaking but it is a business and you can't keep you know some businesses just can't afford to keep going the, the way that they have been going so mm. yeah it's it's tough out there but I, I do believe that a lot a lot of businesses will get through it Really interesting. Now, independent agencies come in a lot of different shapes and sizes. Uh, I assume that the challenges of a five to 10 man agency are very different to that of a 50 to 100 to 150 man agency. Talk a little bit about what some of the specific challenges are in the or different pinch points even at maybe five to 10 employees 15 to 20 50 people plus how do they differ operationally from a HR perspective sales and new business etc I think when you're a five to ten person business everyone's doing everything you know it's a real startup everyone has to roll their sleeves up I think once you start growing and I'd say probably post 20 to 25 heads that's when you really need to start thinking about becoming a little bit more I don't want to use the word professional, but I suppose having a bit more structure in place mm. in the business. And that's thinking about bringing, you know, putting a finance team together as opposed to just having an offsite bookkeeper somewhere. Sure. Um, putting, you know, an HR team together, thinking about talent. Where's that coming from? Um, and also, I mean, the other thing is it's really hard 
from a culture perspective to retain the culture that it was when it was a five to 10 person business mm. to when it's now a 60 to 80 person business? How do you still retain culture as you grow? And that's, that's always evolving. And that's a constant work in progress. And I think culture does evolve as you grow anyway, because culture comes from people, right? Mm. Um, and, it, and it comes from the people that you hire and that you bring in. So it's thinking about going back to the beginning and saying, right, why did we set this agency up? What was the, the purpose of it? What's the proposition? And as we grow, we know it's going to evolve, but it's going to evolve because of the people that we bring in and the kind of work that we do. Um, and I, so I think as you grow, those are some of the things that that will change. And, you know, things like systems from a boring operational perspective, thinking about putting in good systems, financial systems, you know, CRMs, whatever it is to mm. help you with your work, help you become more efficient and ultimately ensure that as you grow, you are still profitable, you know, um, or, or you maintain profitability and you maintain growth and sustainable growth. Um, sometimes there'll be businesses that grow super fast but can't sustain that growth because they haven't got the right support for that growth and i think it's just about being sensible and planning and figuring out what you need ahead of you needing it um mm. i guess that that's probably my advice around the you know small going from small to large or to medium just think about how that growth is supported um which is really really important really interesting now so you talk about growth. Let's dig into that in a bit more, bit more detail. Because from a finance pers perspective, yeah. you've talked a little bit about um, some of the challenges around growth earlier, not being ready to grow. But from a finance perspective, and all the other agencies that you've seen in the marketplace and work with, what are the most common reasons that agencies are unable to grow at the pace that they want to? Um, I think it's a combination of things. I think some of them, um, it's lack of innovation. So they still keep doing the same old stuff they've been doing for years and they don't remain competitive. There's mm -hmm. certainly new emerging businesses, agencies out there. But, you know, I think for the older agencies, it is about remaining competitive. And what does that look like? Does that mean bringing in new talent, bringing in new expertise, diversifying the offer? Um, you know, but it's, it's all those questions, I guess. Um, some agencies, it is a lack of investment, um, particularly in holding groups. I've seen this, you know, it, it's tough to get investment through holding it, it, through the holding groups and getting that through agencies. And I've seen some agencies be restricted around what they can do, because you know, and restrict themselves around growth because of the lack of investment. So I think that plays a big factor. And I think if you're an independent you don't necessarily have that issue unless you haven't got, you know, you don't have the investment to make, you don't have the cash to make the investment. Um, and then trying new things. You know, I think being um, experimental is really important. And I, I think that sometimes hinders agencies who are so reliant on what they know that and too afraid to um, experiment on what they don't know. So I, I'd say it's a combination of, of those things. And you know, also it comes back to talent. Um, I was speaking to one client today about, you know, evaluating the talent that they got, you know, it might have been great up to this certain point, but depending on what they want to do in the future, what is the talent that they need to, to go into the future? Is it the talent that they have now? Is it new talent? Is it a combination of both? And those are really difficult conversations because it goes back to dealing with people and, you know, mm. emotions and loyalty and all those things. But sometimes that's also an impediment to growth. If you're not willing to think about change and, you know, transformation, that that can really, I think, um, hold growth back. 
Mm, really interesting. Let, let's talk a little bit about DNI. You, you've been actively driving the diversity and inclusion conversation forward in the creative services industry, uh, and in particular, improving the representation of Black, Asian, and ethnic minority talent within the industry. Um, you're also helping women progress uh, more into sort of senior leadership positions, but you didn't always see that there was a problem in the media and marketing world. How did you come to that realization? Um, so it was about just over four years ago. Um, I think I had clearly been living in a real bubble. Um, and four years ago, I won my first award, which was the Asian Women of Achievement Award. And I thought it was really strange at first that I was being recognized as an Asian woman. <laughs> and I was like, this is interesting. Right. Um, and Never happened before. Put on this platform and I remember I think it was shortly before the award ceremony we it was International Women's Day um and there was an event for um women at Omnicom uh you know for International Women's Day and there was like 350 women from across different agencies at, in the holding group and I remember going on to this event and there was a really small handful of um women from black asian ethnic minority backgrounds it was mm. tiny and i was gobsmacked <laughs> had i not been put in this spotlight with the asian women of achievement awards i, th I think i'd still be in my bubble and not really realize really it. yeah because Interesting. I, i'd never really seen the color of my skin mm. being a problem to sure much. oh for me it was all, always about credibility and my skills what i'm doing how i'm applying sure. it was never about what I looked like and I guess it comes back to I worked in a business that really supported me that really valued me that really encouraged me so I'd, I've never had I've mm. never been exposed to what a lot of people have been you know throughout their careers and why they've not been able to progress as fast as they have so it's at that point I got involved and I was like right I spoke to um, the IPA I know um, the head of diversity at the IPA Leila Siddiqui quite well and she was like Deepa, this is a real problem across the whole industry, not just at Omni. Mm. I was like, damn, I did not know. <laughs> what can I do to help? Really bad. Like, oh, that's fascinating. Really bad. And so that's when I started and I got involved with, yeah. in, which um, was the um, female support network, female support chapter in um, Omnicom. Got mm. onto their city, started uh, working with them. I started mentoring women um, to help them with progress with their careers as well because I think you know that's another thing getting women in senior roles was uh, you know is a, still a big deal and trying to get more mm -hmm. of us in senior roles is uh, hugely important so that's, mm -hmm. how, that's really when my eyes opened up to the problem um, and mm -hmm. I was just so oblivious to it because I was in a nice world I really was sure sure know? um so so that's that's how I got involved and in in, when I joined publicists I became chair of Viva Women which is sort of the equivalent to Omni Women but for publicists and I, I was chair for the UK group and I, I basically set up a whole new board for it. Um, and what I did is I got men involved as well. So my board was a mixture of men and women because we needed mm -hmm. women to be our allies, mm -hmm. champion us and really support what we were trying to do. I think, mm -hmm. you know, that's what inclusion is about, right? It's not about being divisive. You have to, sure. you have to get allies. Inclusive. You, have, you have to get, you know, you, <laughs> The clues in the in the word, right? Yeah, you know, one day I hope we don't have to do these things. Sure, a long way to go. It's just, it is frustrating because everything is so slow. Progress is so slow, and you know, like you see the stats that the IPA 
um, published this year where the you know representation from black asian minority minority ethnics is not improving particularly at mm. senior level and you just think what else can we do why is it not improving um so let me ask let me ask that let me throw that question back to you what else can we do and and why is it not improving i mean there are many agencies um, and holding groups that have had dni initiatives in their organizations for many years now we're not seeing the pipeline coming through from the junior levels at university and we're not seeing representation of um bme people going into senior positions in, in organizations so what is the solution I do think the solution starts off with, um, you know, from the junior entry level perspective is is about going into sixth form schools, even pre-sixth form, to educate kids on the opportunities that there are available in our industry, right? Because a lot of them don't know. I remember going to one girls' school um, and it was a sixth form, um, sixth form sort of group of girls and telling them about the opportunities that are available in the industry. And they had no idea Right. Mm. They're told about these traditional jobs, you know, being a doctor, mm. being a lawyer, being a teacher, all those things. They don't sure. know, they don't necessarily know what's available because their parents might not be in it. You know? Sure. Um, so I think it starts there and then then it goes back to where are we recruiting from? If we're gonna keep recruiting from the same places, we're never gonna sure. different people. Right. So it comes down to, you know, recruitment. Stop stop recruiting from the same universities, for mm. example. You need to widen recruit. the talent pool. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, and then I think, you know, from a from a senior role perspective, I think it's making sure that we give people the opportunities and we give them the support that they need to get into those roles. Um, and I don't think there is enough of that. So it's about really how do we bring them in, but then how do we keep them there? How do we retain them in the industry and how do we get them up to the top? And that, mm. there's a lot of work to do around that, um, I think, still. But, you know, we have to start making it happen. And the only that way that we're going to make it happen is really action against all these things that we say we're going to do, you know, agencies say they're going to do. It really is about action and holding mm. companies accountable, but really driving the change, you know, action that change, make it happen. Um, and it's not going to happen, happen overnight. This is the other thing. It's going to take time and it will probably take another generation at least, I think, mm. to make any real big difference but we have to keep going we can't just stop and give up because we're like oh it's not happening fast. it's taking too long right uh you have to keep going um i mm. think and the more of us that speak about it that help that try and do whatever we can to contribute towards that goal um the better you know we, we need more we need more of us to do it and and i feel there's not enough voices um amongst us to do it so mm. yeah it's mm easy it's really really tough and i don't i don't have one solution because it's such a vast issue it's a multi right yeah yeah combination of things that need to happen and it, it's all about progress mm, super interesting um just bringing the interview towards a, a close now deeper we're getting to our favorite questions these are the questions that i ask all of my guests so i'm really excited to ask you some of them as well this is more of a fun personal questions really sort of, you know, who is who is the person behind the brand uh, sort of question. So first question, uh, tell us about a time when you failed and what you learned from the experience. Oh my God, a time when I failed. Oh. 
That's a really hard one. When have I, I, I probably failed sometime, but I can't even think about it. <laughs> uh, the 2 2 at, uh, in economics for your degree. Well, that's not a failure. That's not a failure as such. You turned it, in, you turned it around. I'm using words like fail, right? I think, it's yeah. right? You, you, you learn and you move forward and you use that as an experience. I don't sure. think people fail, right? Mm. Um, which is why when you said, what are you failed in? I know there's things that I haven't done well, but I won't, I can go, I've failed at anything. Uh, I think that's a really negative way of looking at things. I think you learn and you progress and you take what you've learned from that, that you might not have done so well and think, right, how can I do better next time? So, you know, things like my university where I got the 2-2, I, I quickly had to, hate using this word, pivot, but I didn't make it into the investment world, you know, the investment mm-hmm. world so it's about right I'm going to do this next and from that it took me on a whole new journey that I yeah. was expecting to be on sure and, you know that was part of my journey part of my story and, and uh, I truly believe that everything happens for a reason and you know I've had a very successful career today and I, I'm really I'm I don't regret you know looking back I thought oh my god I've done I haven't done so well <laughs> actually it's probably the best yeah. that happened to me yeah um, so that's I'd say so I think look, don't look at things as a failure. Look at them as how do you do better next time? How do you learn from it? You know, what can you change next time? And and maybe you just didn't do it well because you didn't like it. Yeah. Right? Um, <laughs> that, that's so, something yeah. we don't consider. Yeah, good point. Really interesting. Tell us about some of your early mentors who influenced the way that you think about uh, you know, financial, um, being a CFO, helping agencies and growth. Yeah. So one of my early mentors was the global CFO at Hall & Partners. And he he really taught me about being fair and what integrity meant. And to me, that's super important, particularly if you're in a, you know, in a role like a CFO. Integrity is everything. You know? um, building that, that, I mean, that's one of the things that I'm known for, I want to be known for, because it's mm. so important. Trust is so important. So. Sure. He was one of the mentors who who taught me about just being fair in business, and and having that highest level of integrity and, and being a real trusted partner to businesses was really really important. So a lot of what I've learned is I would say through him. Um, mm. Along the way, I've I've had lots of different mentors, and he's still one of my mentors. Funnily enough, he's retired now, but mm. I've, as I've evolved in my career, I've brought on new mentors who I've met along the way. Not people that I've sought out, but people that have just come into my life. You know, people. Sure. Like, with or whatever and I've got I'm quite lucky that I've got a good range of people that I can tap into and I think it's so important as part of your career progression that you do have people mm. that you can speak to that have you know that have had the experience before you that can talk to you about what they did if they had a challenge you know and can give you some good guidance around it so mm. I'm really really fortunate from that perspective the book's question tell us about some of your favorite books be they fiction non-fiction business related whatever oh my god okay so one that i read re- uh, sort of recently i don't read a lot of um i okay i don't read a lot of business books can i get really okay i'll just be really honest. <laughs> um, Fine. no pressure um there's one called the nightingale i don't know if you've heard of the nightingale no um it's a business book no it's not a business book. i just said i don't read it's a novel <laughs> sorry i'm trying to force you into telling me i look at business books and i, yeah. I want to read them but then i'm just like i can't yeah 
then I feel really bad because everyone around me talking about business books and like, <laughs> so I'm like, no. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I haven't learned anything from business. Yeah, books. yeah. Um, but yeah, the Nightingale was really good. It was about um, okay. a woman who helped, who's like, I think World War One, and she helped um, get the soldiers crossed over the Pyrenees, um, so the Allies. And okay, yeah, it's quite. It's a really good book. I, I recommend it. Well, then, just on that, actually, there are so many there are so many nonfiction books um, yeah. or fiction books actually that you can apply to business and your professional life. So I don't think you have to read business books at all. I think um, you know you can take learnings from so many other places and, and then yeah. apply them, as I'm sure you you got from the Nightingale. Yeah. Um, and, and normal people. So I read normal people before the normal people. people. Okay. I, I really I was. A bit apprehensive about watching um, the series on TV. Right. Last two months, uh, it was on BBC Three. Um, How did it compare? I actually thought it was really good. There were some bits, obviously, they, they messed up because you can't follow the book, you know, completely when you're on a TV. Right. But sure, uh, I wasn't disappointed. So really? Okay. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed reading that one. Okay. Um, the other one was um, Eleanor Oliphant. I don't know if you've heard of that one. No, I haven't. Um, I have to admit, I don't read a lot of fiction, but I've, I'm the opposite to you. I actually read a lot of uh, business books and I feel guilty when I'm not reading business books. Yeah. So um, I don't, I should read more fiction. I'm going to start changing that. So what was the other one? I can't, I can't, I lose concentration when I start reading business books. That's my problem. I, it's the same thing for nonfiction for me. Well, you know, for um, fiction, sorry. Oh, okay. I, I lose concentration. I, I'm just like, get to the point. Like, why are we talking about a story? Can we get to the point, please? I did <laughs> tell me, tell me about the numbers. <laughs> uh, I did read Michelle Obama's Becoming, and I Brilliant. stopped way through because. Oh, you didn't like it? No, no. Why? I I like Michelle Obama, and I'm sure she's great. But I, <laughs> but... I thought it was just. I don't know. I did. I thought it was maybe her just trying to position it. It's going to sound. Re- I'm sure you get people are going to start. Protesting. Let's hear it. She's a politician at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. She's a politician. She I feel like she's just lining herself up for <laughs> election, possibly in 2020. Cynical. And I was like, "You're. I'm sure you're a really lovely woman, but this is just not for me." And I really. Yeah. Really yeah. interesting. Yeah. I thought it was good. I, I thought the most interesting parts of that book. Now that I've said that, but it's, say that again. Sorry. I'm sure I'm going to get loads of abuse now that I've said that. But I, you yeah, will. I, I can. You probably will. Really you can it. take it. Okay. Fair. <laughs> fair enough. Um, what do you do to keep mentally and physically fit? Oh God, I'm super lazy. Uh, <laughs> actually, no. I've got into yoga during okay. lockdown. Which I, was, I was actually doing yoga before lockdown. I kind of okay. Got, because I was like I need to do something and I had a really good yoga tutor at my gym and I used to do that every week and then obviously lockdown happened um mm. and now I just go on YouTube there's amazing stuff on YouTube right. so much yeah YouTube mm. workouts at home I listen to podcasts uh I go for a walk do my podcasting I haven't actually listened to a podcast for a while though which podcast are good are you subscribing I, to I really like Stephen Bartlett have you heard of Stephen okay Bartlett? from Social Chain yeah, I love uh, Dawn Porter. She's got some great ones as well. Okay, I don't know her. And then uh, there's a guy called Dr. Rangan Chatterjee who has a podcast. He's lovely. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah i've got i've got loads of podcasts on my phone uh, good recommendations and obviously agents of deal masters is in your and, regular and rotation is on there, is on there. <laughs> uh, so, yeah so i've got i've got a few so that's that's really what i do and then you know when i'm not doing those things i'm just literally hanging out at home just um, I'm growing tomatoes at the moment in my greenhouse I've never grown anything in my life <laughs> so yeah that's a new thing this year locked are out. they still alive <laughs> they're still alive I've actually yeah. got to eat and they've been really good oh wow okay <laughs> probably better probably better for you than the supermarket ones to be yeah, honest exactly. um <laughs> in the last three to five years what ideas behaviors or habits have you added or removed from your life that have improved your outcomes um i think oh added and removed do you know what self-doubt i know we all have it but mm. i've become more confident in knowing my value what i'm worth um mm. and really knowing why i have a seat around the table and i never used to have that um i always used to question it and i think to an extent i still do have a bit of imposter mm. Um, but it's not as bad as it used to be. And it's something that I look back on every day. Mm. But I think for me, it is, it is really around, you know, confidence and recognizing my value. And it's even more so since I've launched my own sort of consultancy, sure. you have to have that confidence, you know, you're selling value to a client, and mm. you have to demonstrate it. And if you aren't confident in yourself, why would the client be buying it? Do you sure. know? So I think that's that's one of the things. And the other thing is, I think as a CFO, you have to be resilient anyway. But I think patience and resilience uh, are two other things that I've really become a lot stronger at um, over the last few years. Mm. And I think that really helps you mentally as well. I'm, you know, I I can sometimes be quite impatient, but I've learned that patience is everything. Um, not everything will always happen when you want it to. Mm -hmm. so, having that is really important and just being resilient and thick skinned is also really, really important, particularly with what I do. Because mm. um, sometimes, you know, when you're in agencies, particularly you do sometimes get a battering and people batter you from all sides because they think you're being mean, but you're not being mean. You're just trying to help them. So mm. yeah, I, I guess those things are probably the biggest things for me. And that it's not just over the last three to five years. I think it's a continual progress of, of building sure. on those. And uh, yeah. I think that's it. Good answers. Last couple of questions and then I'll, I'll let you go. What advice would you give to a young person or a millennial who comes to you and says that they want to get started as a CFO in the agency world? Do it. Just don't, don't even doubt yourself. Just do it and see if you like it. You know, get what, you know, I would always suggest if you want to be a good CFO is you have to have done all the roles in finance at one point or another because it's really hard for you to mentor and lead and develop people in a team if you don't understand what they're doing or how their sure. roles work Good or plan. how effectively their roles should work. And that's mm. one of the things that I'm glad that I did. Um, mm. So now you know, I can go into agencies and build a finance team for them. I know what people they need to bring in or who they don't need to bring in. And I think mm. if you want to be... A, you know a good successful CFO really understand the roles and responsibilities um, for what a great team looks like do that job for a while so you get it um, mm. and yeah I, I, that's that's how I would start you know it, it was always starting from the bottom as well because if you don't start from the bottom it's really hard for you to lead from the top um, mm. and for you to be credible at what you do uh, so yeah that, that's what I would suggest 
And my final question, Deepa, what do you know about helping businesses grow today that you wish you knew when you first started your career? I think um, when I first started my career, I didn't know anything about finance, right? But what yeah. I what I know today is based on the experience that I've had throughout the years. And mm. I don't necessarily think if I tell myself what I know today, 19 years ago, I would have known how to execute it or do it. Um, mm. For eight and their growth I think it's really really important to have a really tough and I mean tough as in a strong leadership team um, Mm. one that really works together has great chemistry but also has amazingly different skills and experience around the table so a really diverse team of people is is I think Mm. to to all agencies and their growth I think having a really good leadership team uh, one that's respected by the rest of the businesses is incredibly important um, the other thing that I would say is a lot of the time, you know, if I said it to my younger self is trust your trust your gut, um, trust what you do and have faith in what you're doing. And I a lot of times I've questioned what I've, I've been doing over the years because maybe I thought I don't know enough about it or, you know, maybe I can't do it. You know, always keep putting your hand up. You will figure it out. You know, work with good people, get some good mentors that are going to help you. Always keep learning, always keep challenging yourself because that's how you get you're never going to know everything and that's fine but what you can do is start building teams that add to your skills that so that you do become you know a high performing finance team for example so yeah. i think keep learning keep challenging yourself work with excellent people people that are going to support you elevate you but you know make sure that you're all on that, that journey together as well so you know it works both ways um i think that's that's those are some of the keys to successful agency yeah. growth and, and i think it does come down to ultimately the people that you've got in the business and that's from the leadership team down to all the other layers of talent that you've got and and that is the success of a business that's your biggest asset without mm. those people it's, it's incredibly hard to grow it's incredibly incredibly hard to deliver good work and have some excellent clients as well and I, mm. I think that's the focus and it's always put people first before profits and I know mm. a lot of agencies and businesses do it the wrong way around but it, it really is people clients and then profits mm. uh, I think that's really it absolutely love it Deepa I've really enjoyed speaking with you thank you so much for doing this thank you Nathan we have been speaking with Deepa Shah she is currently the founder of Lab8 if you enjoyed this conversation then head over to Apple Podcasts where you can listen to 87 such conversations we've had now with world-class sales marketing and finance leaders thank you for all your feedback and suggestions on LinkedIn and email write to me at Nathan at agencydealmasters.com please head over to iTunes and give us a review. Follow me on Twitter at Nathan Anibaba. We would be unable to do this show without our very own deal masters. Ahmed Ahmed is our editor. Genevieve Magecki is our booker slash project manager. Marion Begum is our head of research. I'm Nathan Anibaba. You've been listening to Agency Deal Masters. And we're done. <laughs>